Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. And yes, I've been changing the intro a little bit to most of my podcasts to include social media and not just Twitter anymore because i got to step my game up, right? i got to start giving some respect to the IG side of things. And that's exactly what I've been doing since the new year. So if you guys haven't already followed me on the IG, make sure you guys do that same handle as Twitter as well, at MMALOTN. And the special thing that I'm doing over there on Fridays, I'm going to be doing it at 7 o'clock today, is I want to start talking to you guys. I obviously get a lot of you guys in my DMs and you know Twitter, IG, all that type of stuff in the comment section. But now is the time to hear from you guys. So last week I labeled it UFC Vegas 47 Locks. A lot of people took issue to that for some reason. So I'm just going to switch it to uh, UFC 271 bets. And that's what I'm going to be doing at 7 o'clock tonight, 7, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure you guys check out the IG Live. And again, you guys can hop on and have your say as well in terms of what your favorite bets are for uh, tomorrow's card. All right, we're going to be going over UFC 271 headline by Israel Adesanya, Robert, Robert Whitaker, Act 2. And uh, very excited for this card. Uh, that that fight is obviously very much uh, the, the one that we're all looking forward to. But Jared Cannonier versus Derek Brunson, another great fight. Possible number one contender fight as well. Uh, co-main event, heavyweight banger slugfest, hopefully, uh, between uh, Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa. And a couple other great fights trickled out throughout it uh a pretty eventful weigh-in this morning and uh it's great uh for us especially for this show because that's kind of not what we focus on but something that we get to mention while we're talking about most of the fights that's kind of the difference between this show and the rest of the shows i do throughout the week uh before i bring on my guest right here uh last thing i want to let you guys know i've had a couple people hit me up in terms of where the propping you up show is that i did with cody uh, that one is always going to be on the All-Star for pay-per-view episodes. So if you guys haven't already checked out the All-Star, make sure you guys check out the All-Star, uh, pretty much uh, the All-Star on all, um, on YouTube. And that's where we did our Prop New Up show yesterday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, fight night episodes will be on my channel, pay-per-view episodes on the All-Star. All right. Without further ado, let me start to bring in my guest here. Uh, I, I've been following this guy for a while. I believe he's been around the game just as long as I have, if not a little bit longer. Uh, but a uh, very sharp motherfucker. I've seen this guy grow from a uh, from a, a, a default avatar on Twitter that he just grabbed from somewhere, probably screenshot that shit and threw it up on his Twitter account and put his name under it. And now he's actually a legitimate dude uh, working for uh, the Early Ed Sports Line. And obviously he has his own successful podcast now with our guy Magic. Let me bring in my guy, Andrew Gombas. Andrew, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Ready to talk some uh, UFC 271 with you. Absolutely, man. Uh, it, it's been great to kind of see your 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 glow up, as the kids call it nowadays, right? Yeah, you've you've really turned the corner over the last maybe two years in terms of how much attention you're paying to social media and trying to grow your brand and grow your name, and then obviously you know rebranding yourself to Andrew Gombas. Best, I thought that was a great uh, move on your part. What do you think has kind of changed for you though? Since what, like, was there a point in time where you're like? Oh shit! I'm I'm actually really good at this, and I think I can actually take it into a a serious career or a full time thing. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's really sweet of you to say. Um, I appreciate the um, kind words. I think I always kind of knew that I had something. Um, I don't want it sounds kind of hopefully not cocky, but I always felt like I had a little bit something special when it came to the MMA betting thing. It's something that I took interest in at a very young age. Like I, I started betting on fights before I was old enough to have a credit card. I used to, I've told this story before, but I used to give my dad cash. So he would let me borrow his credit card to put money on betting sites. And I realized I was pretty good at it. Obviously being involved in wrestling from a young age, I was really interested in MMA. 
And then I started my bet MMA when I was 20 years old and I'm about to turn 25 next month. And things like you said, have really picked up over the last couple of years. And I don't know what it was. I, I've been doing pretty well, I guess that doesn't hurt, but yeah, I, I'm happy to be in the spot that I'm in grateful for all the opportunities and uh, grateful for you having me on today. Absolutely. You've been on the show one time in the past, but uh, not since I've done the one-on-one -on -one thing now over here on the Ultimate Wayne Show. But uh, it's a lot easier for me to kind of just talk to the guests rather than having to wrangle a whole squad of dudes and, and try to keep order and all that shit as well. Uh, before we do jump into the to the actual uh, breakdowns, give me one fight you're most excited about from a fan's perspective. Not so much a betting perspective, but from a fan's perspective, which one are you looking forward to the most tomorrow night? Yeah, so outside of the main event, I think this one's a layup. Tuavasa versus Derek Lewis should be a really fun fight. Both these guys come in, they're fan favorites. They come in swinging and both have a ton of power. Um, I think that fight's probably one I'm looking forward to. And then maybe one that's flying a little bit more under the radar that I'm looking forward to um, would be um, Alexander Hernandez versus Nato Moicano, which I guess just got promoted to the pay-per-view section of the card this week. And I'd say those are my favorite too outside of the main event. What about you? Yeah, I, for me, actually, it's the the number one contender fight in the in that third slot between Derek Brunson and Jared Cannonier. A lot of uh, adamant stances on both sides of that fight. Obviously, we'll cover it a little bit later in the podcast here. Uh, but uh, in terms of the Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa fight, I found it interesting at the press conference yesterday that one of the one of the guys, uh, the Houston reporters, asked Derek Lewis, "Were like last time you were in Houston and I asked you this question, you said uh, I think I'm going to beat this guy by controversial split decision." I think that's actually what ended up happening. And then he goes, "You know what?" I'm going to go out there and swang with this guy uh, and one of us is going to fall within that first round. So I think a lot of people that were trying to take the sneaky approach with the over one and a half at plus money here were probably like, ah, oh, fuck, I, maybe I should just cash out that ticket or, or push it out. <laughs> exactly. We'll talk about it when we get there. But that's obviously a little bit of concern, right? You don't want to take too much from an interview, right? They, Especially with MMA, there's not much you can take from it because how much of it can you truly believe? Everybody's going to be like, oh, I'm the healthiest I've ever been, blah, blah, blah. And then after the fight, they lose. They're like, oh, I had a torn ACL some shit right like that, that always comes with the, the interviewing aspect uh how do you kind of cap interviews and and press conference stuff like that less than five percent um i i pretty much i have one of the most simple styles i've ever heard i watch the fights make the read and then try to get the best number from there maybe five percent or like i'll I, i'll check their instagram beforehand but like unless it's something like insane like nothing's like i know some people and everyone has their own style so yeah. who's right or who's wrong that doesn't really matter um but i take 95 percent of my um my betting um lean from what i see on tape and how i analyze like that specific stylistic matchup and then from that from there on out it's about getting the best number once in a blue moon something could come up from like i don't know really not but how someone looks at like a weigh-in or like how um someone's talking in an interview i know some people cap that stuff a lot more than i do but i've personally found that it's better to just kind of focus in on what you can see with your own two eyes and, and really look at the proof so to speak uh, that that's just my style personally yeah no i absolutely agree with you again at a certain point i realize i'm like there's not much you can take into from interviews and press conferences the ig thing uh, side of things that's more so just to see like where they're training at right where their training campus have they moved anywhere are they did they bring in any special something like that but yeah you are absolutely right you you live and buy or live and die by what you see on tape and i think that's exactly uh the great uh, a great ingredient to have a successful capper and predictor all right that's uh quick jacking each other off here let's fucking get into the actual <laughs> predictions uh we got uh kicking off the show uh we got william knight who came in an egregious 12 pounds 
overweight for the 205 pound limit. Uh, that fight is now a heavyweight fight. He's taking on Maxime Grishin, who has fought at heavyweight in the past, not small, uh, light heavyweight in his own right. That guy's one of the bigger guys in that division. Uh, in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus uh, 165 for Grishin, plus 145 for William Knight. Uh, I'll let you kick things off here. How do you see this uh, heavyweight matchup going down? And what did you make of the weigh-in and stuff? Yeah, so this is a great one to start off with because I bet Maxime Grishin in this fight at like minus 160, one, minus 165. I, I honestly think he's better everywhere than William Knight from a tech, like technically speaking. He's a five inch reach advantage. We saw William Knight get body locked with the same takedown over and over and over again against Daoon Jung. Um, I think he was fortunate to win a decision in his last fight. And I think that Grishin um, is an underrated kickboxer. I think that fight against Dustin Jacoby honestly could have went, went to him. Um, and it's, it's, again, this is a perfect fight to start with because William Knight missed weight by 12 pounds, which is something we don't really see every day. And so a lot of people have been asking me what I make of that. And what I make of that is you don't miss 12, you don't miss weight by 12 pounds by accident. So that could, I, I get that it was on relatively short notice, but you can't tell me that he was completely training and dialed in with his nutrition. Like he should have been going into this fight. So honestly, it makes me like Maxime Grisham a little bit more, um, Again, you could you could miss weight by a pound. Maybe it was a miscalculation in the weight cut from a um, a water cutting perspective. But you don't miss twelve. You don't miss weight by twelve pounds by accident. I I wrestled for those of you who don't know me. My whole life, I've never missed weight or even seen someone miss weight by twelve pounds. Like I, I, again, I said if the weight if the weight class is one sixty five, maybe someone has a bad cut one sixty five and a half, one sixty six, and then you can't wrestle. But never have I ever seen someone, especially this high of a level, come in twelve pounds overweight. And in MMA, when we've seen it, we've seen Calvin Gastelum do it against yeah. um, Tyron Woodley. Like, like yeah. it just doesn't work out. I think I want to say fighters are zero and six or something like that off the top of my head when they when they miss weight by more than ten pounds. So no, I said a lot there, but I like Grishin. I like it even more with the weight miss. Yeah, uh, shout out to our guy, uh, Dan, from Best Fight Picks. He put out like a little bit of a blurb in terms of the people that missed weight by an egregious amount. I think the last person to miss it by that much or close to that much was Rafael Alves last uh, year. I forgot who he was going up against, but he missed by 11 and a half pounds, I think it was. Sabatini, Sabatini. Yeah, Pat Sabatini. That was the one. I think it was the debut for both of them as well, which was hilarious. But uh, yeah, uh, 11 and a half pound missed there. Uh, but it's different, right? Because this is at like heavyweight and heavyweight compared to lightweight and welterweight or something like that. You're missing by a whole weight class at that point luckily he's up at uh light heavyweight and they can quickly switch to a heavyweight matchup but uh yeah i, I honestly pretty much agree with everything you say there i think grishan has been getting a little bit too much flack in his ufc career given kind of his stretch against some heavyweights especially the marching type or fight people seeing him kind of get controlled and and beat the way that he did there discrediting the fact that that was a heavyweight now he's actually fighting guys where he's in a weight class that he should be at or at least should be at at uh, 205 but yeah uh william knight there's not much to like about his game i know he has a couple decision victories on his record but it doesn't look like he's much of a minute winner right the alonzo menafield fight not a great look i thought menafield deserved that win it all came down to the last like 45 seconds of him throwing those big crazy shots which I'd say 90% of those shots missed, right? You got to give the control there to Alonzo Menafield in the first four minutes. But uh, yeah, I like Grishin here. Didn't play him myself. Uh, but if the line starts to creep down a little bit more, I'd, I'd be a little bit more intrigued. But even at minus 165, I don't mind that spot. Uh, I like Grishin. Uh, I think Grishin takes a bad decision as well to kick off the night. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. A welterweight scrap between Jeremiah Wells and the debuting Blood Diamond. It seems like they're officially changing his name to Blood Diamond now. All week, I've been trying to figure out Mike Matheta or Blood Diamond, and it's absolutely crazy for a content creator trying to create graphics and all that shit and not knowing what the fuck this guy's name is. But 
John Anik announced him as Blood Diamond this morning. Seems like Tapology has changed his name to Blood Diamond as well. So that's exactly what we're going to go with. Very easy fight to break down. Welds, takedown, uh, Blood Diamond, kickboxing, pretty much. Welds obviously has some power in his hands, as we saw in his UFC debut against Warley Alves, where he was able to start him in, the, I believe, the second round there. But more often than not, his fighting style is similar to his training partner from that Daniel Gracie, uh, Hensel Gracie Academy uh, takedowns. Uh, Sean Brady and him are pretty much the same in that aspect. They're almost built the same too, right? Like just stubby, just jack dudes, and they're very powerful. And I do think that Jeremiah Wells will be successful in terms of dragging this fight to the ground. The MMA tape that's out there for Blood Diamond, which isn't a lot, right? The guy's only 3-0, and but he's like 32 or 33 years old at this time. Most of his career has been spent as a kickboxer slash Muay Thai fighter. But I do think uh, if he, well, in the last fight that we saw of him, he struggles to get off the cage, right? Even though he was having success against that guy, can't recall his name, but he was hitting him with uh, knees and elbows in that clinch. But it seemed like it was very easy to kind of just push him up against the cage. Now you got a guy in Jeremiah Wells who's going to be seeking that takedown. I think it's going to come pretty easy for him here. And then on the ground, I think he absolutely smashes him. So I like Jeremiah Wells here. Uh, I wish the total, the, the widely available total, was at two and a half instead of one and a half because I'd feel a little bit more comfortable there. But I still think Jeremiah Wells gets this done within the first round. Uh, I'm not giving too much credence to Blood Diamond. I kind of shit on him earlier this week just saying he's in the UFC because of Adesanya. And we've seen it in the past with guys like Chris Vila and the Diaz brothers or Martin Sano and the Diaz brothers. Uh, the guy has a great combat career. But in terms of MMA career, 3-0, and sketchy competition, eh. I'm on the Jeremiah Wells side here. I think he's worth the chalk, to be honest. No bet on my side, but I do have, an, have him in a couple of degenerate parlays. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it. And also a little rumor going around this week that I've heard is that um, Jeremiah Wells hasn't been taking training seriously. Again, who knows if that's just a rumor or if that there's some truth to that. Usually I find where there's smoke, there's fire with that kind of stuff. So just a little tidbit to be aware of if you're on the Wells side. But I said this last night on my show, so if you watch both and this joke's redundant, I'm sorry. But if I was <laughs> fighting a guy named Blood Diamond, I probably wouldn't be training that hard either. <laughs> you're more than welcome to reuse jokes throughout the week. Because sometimes there's viewers that have not tuned into that show. But uh, what, what's your official prediction for the fight, though? <clears throat> yeah, I think Wells is going to submit him. Um, FanDuel hung some egregious line of like under two and a half minus 142 i obviously didn't like officially tip that or track that or anything but i did put some of my own money on that they immediately switched the line to minus 350 or whatever but they honored the bet so i'm hoping for an under two and a half i mean this fight's binary as they binary as they come in the sense that blood diamonds a striker wells is a black belt in jujitsu Who's going to finish the fight first? Typical history tells us that the, it usually favors the grappler. Obviously, that's not a universal rule, but I'm picking Wells to win. No bet on my side other than that egregious opener that Fanduel hung. I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Douglas Silva, DeAndrade going to going up against Sergey Morozov. Excuse me. In terms of odds, we got minus two ten on the Kazakh fighter and plus one seventy five on the Brazilian. I'll let you kick this one off, man. Who do you like here? Yeah, so I like Morozov in this spot. Um, I actually bet on Douglas Silva de Andrade a couple years ago against Henan Barrow, and he made me nervous as hell. He got taken down multiple times, um, which is Morozov's game. And and if the ref didn't didn't stand um, didn't stand them up twice, Cyrus play, Maya, be, what are you doing, dog? <laughs> yeah, th those were some pretty no no please, those were some pretty questionable stand ups. Um, but it definitely led me to believe that there's holes in Douglas Silva de Andrade's defensive grappling. I think Morozov's going to take him down. I think he's going to hold him down. I wouldn't be surprised to see him um, 
move to half guard side control and, and start to look for a finish as well but surprised to see this line come in a little bit i haven't played it yet because it has been trending downwards but hopefully gonna move in on that one soon because i like morozov in this spot to get it done absolutely absolutely the master of line movement is my guy andrew garmis even give me a little bit of a heads up on something later uh on in the card but I already fired on Sergey Morozov, minus 208. He's my lock of the night play. I'm just very confident in, in this spot here. His boxing is pretty slick as well, right? I don't think he's going to be in too much trouble should this fight be on the feet. But path of least resistance, let's get this fight to the ground. Let's not even give Douglas a chance. And and I'm glad that you brought up the Hennemberal fight because that is a perfect example of if you just tapple cap this fight and just see, oh, he beat Hennemberal. Of course, he beats Hennemberal. But watch that fight. That's a very sketchy fight man if if there was another ref in there and brow was able to keep that top control he goes on to win that fight man and, and easily two rounds to none because he got him down in at least two of those rounds and was holding him down without much resistance from on top or sorry from bottom so uh yeah i, I like morozov here i think it's a great spot uh happy to cash him last time around as an underdog against holly taha hopefully he can great come spot yeah, exactly. That I that line made no sense to me. I'm not sure why what people are seeing there, but glad that we were able to get that plus money. But hopefully he comes through as a, a chalky favorite here because I feel pretty confident in, in him in this spot as well. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. We got Jacob Malkoon going up against AJ Dobson. Uh, in terms of odds, we're currently looking at a pick'em line. Uh, AJ Dobson was closer to that minus 150 range earlier in the week. Money coming in on Jacob Malkoon, a.k.a. Robert Whitaker's training partner slash BGJ coach. Uh, but yeah, it, it's hilarious the kind of opponents that they've been giving Malkoon since coming into the UFC. All first-round finishers. And let's say it, it's obvious. Black explosive athletic finishers and that's exactly what he's been going up against and luckily for him he's gone one and one he obviously gets starched by phil haas in his ufc debut at ufc 254 uh and then he goes on and beats uh abdul razak al hassan and smashes everybody's hail mary parlays uh who is just throwing his razak in there thinking that he could go out there and replicate what haas was able to do now you got dobson kind of the similar mold where a lot of his wins if you guys scan his record is by first round finish the only fight that he's been able to go 15 minutes uh uh, I was not able to find any tape on it, but just looking into it a little bit deeper, the guy that he was fighting was two and one at the time. Now it's just at three and seven. So I don't know how much we can truly take from that fight, even if we had access to that tape. Trains out of the Immortal Gym, I believe, over there in Ohio under Matt Brown. You see uh, Mark Coleman in his corner every now and then. I believe he's been doing a little bit of work over there at Strong Style as well, uh, hopping in and out of that gym too. But the guy seems like an athletic freak to certain extents. Not as much as Phil Hawes or Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, but still has some tremendous power. Um, I question his wrestling game, right? We don't really see much of it in the Arcaga fight, which was obviously his contender series fight. But we see him rock him on multiple occasions and then eventually get him out of there with a no-hooks rear naked choke. Uh, but here with Malkoon, man, I think Malkoon could get this guy to the ground if he's able to survive the uh, onslaught on top. And then I think he could find his first ever submission win uh, on his professional MMA record. Even amateur record, he doesn't have any submission wins. But this is one of those spots that I kind of uh, compared to Miguel Baeza when he went up against uh, Takashi Sato. I could be off on the name there. Where uh, plus 1,200 sub prop on him. Never got a submission on his record, but he is a BJJ black belt, was able to pull it off that night. Maybe Malkoon's able to do it here as a plus 600, plus 700 submission prop as well. I got a little bit of a sprinkle on that, but my main action is on the under two and a half. I got in at minus 144, but just wait until you hear the line that my guy Andrew Gomez got on it. Like I said, line movement master over here. Uh, official pick is going to be uh, Dobson by KO. I do think he eventually finds that KO and finishes him, but I'm not betting that number. I'm taking the under two and a half praying for violence and hoping that comes through. Andrew, 
let, let them know what you think. Yeah, so I actually bet Jacob Malkoon at early odds, plus 131, I want to say. Now that it's down to a pick I, I think that's about right. Um, I bet the under two and a half um, at minus 124, and then again at minus 145. I think that should be minus 200, maybe even upwards of that. Dobson, obviously, ton of power on the feet, finishing upside, and we've seen Jacob Malkoon get finished in 15 seconds by Phil Hawes. Could be a, could be, um, a repeat of that. And I, I think if Dobson doesn't knock him out early, there's a good chance Malkoon grinds him out, finds a submission, finds a TKO from top. But I do think this fight finishes. Um, fun story, not fun story for me, but I bet Jacob Malkoon by submission at plus 1,600 against... Um, Al Hassan. So Ooh. I had um, plus sixteen hundred on submission. I think plus forty eight hundred on round three, Damn. and um, he somehow didn't find a finish in that fight. So Al Hassan's um, tough, man. Like he's durable. Yeah. He's tough to get out of there. I don't think he's been finished at all outside of that Chaos Williams fight. Uh, fight in the first round. Every other fight, he's just been grinded out on. Yeah, there were a couple chances he had early to find that sub, and I was like, oh man, this is happening. And then it just didn't, and I was like, ah. did you did um, you but- get on the sub prop this time? No, I'm just on the just yeah. on the money line and the under two and a half. So I think both those spots are pretty good. Malcoon at the early price. Now I think the size is still the under. I think minus two hundred is probably right for that sixty five six seventy percent. But yeah, I think Malcoon um, submitting him would make me a very happy man. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit of consolation for that uh Razak one that you missed uh right. last fight as well. Uh all right. Uh again, I'm glad that we're both on the under here. Again, I'm taking Dobson to find that knockout. Uh Andrew's taking Malkoon to find the submission or TKO from on top. But either way, violence is what we're hoping for. All right, let's move on to the next right here. Ronnie Lawrence taking on Mana Martinez. Uh, in terms of odds, we got chalk here on Lawrence sitting at minus 310, plus 245, the return on Mana Martinez. Um, I'll let you kick this one off, man. How do you how do you see this one going down? Yeah, so I have no bets on the fight at the moment, but I think Ronnie Lawrence should get it done. Um I mean, I bet Guido Canetti at like 42 years old against Mana Martinez. And so that, that just goes to show what I think about him. But yeah, Lawrence should be able to get the grappling going here. He weaponizes pace. He has great cardio. Um, can be like, I'm not totally sold on his striking yet. Hence why I haven't laid three to one. And opponents do usually manage to get up again and again against him. So I'm fine passing this spot. But I think um, he's a good spot to target if you're a DraftKings player because he's going to score high and a win. Um, and I, yeah, I think Lawrence gets it done, but I'm fine sitting back and watching this one from the couch. What about you? I took a little bit of a sneaky approach to this one. I took the under two and a half at plus 155. Uh, obviously, Martinez, a lot of his fights have finished. He's been finished as well. Um, he has some solid power. So if he does clip on uh, Ronnie Lawrence, like we said, his striking game is still kind of developing. It seems like he just moves a lot, likes to kick from the outside. And that opportunity is just waiting for him to go out there and get that takedown. And I think he's just trying to set it up with those those uh, those kicks that he just enters with. But maybe he just throws a lazy kick here and gets clipped by Martinez. That's a possible outcome. And then obviously the one that I see playing out is eventually he just grinds at him with those takedowns, eventually just breaks Mano Martinez and then eventually gets a, a finish in the second or third round. <clears throat> Hopefully not after the halfway point of the third round. But still, I like the under two and a half at plus 155 here. I do like Lawrence inside the distance around plus 200. But yeah, uh, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the DraftKings spot here for Ronnie Lawrence. I think it's a no-brainer. If he wins, you're going to get multiple takedowns. You're going to get some control time and possibly even a finish if my read comes into play here as well. So, yeah, uh, three to one, a little bit crazy, but the guy looks like he has a chops. Let's just see him continue to develop. I think it's only going to be his second K1 
cap now over there at uh, Sanford MMA. He's been mainly a Tennessee guy. I believe training out of that Tennessee MMA gym. But uh, I want to see this guy flesh out a little bit more, man. He has the chops. And it wasn't that long ago. I think two fights ago on the contender series, he was a plus 240 underdog, right? Not a lot of people had high hopes for him. But goes out there, secures 12 takedowns against Jose Johnson, gets his hand raised in that fight. Eight takedowns against Vince Cashero, gets a late finish there. Eight seconds over the two and a half mark. So uh, we'll see if he can do it eight seconds earlier this time uh, to cast that plus 155 ticket. But me and Andrew both on the uh, Ronnie Lawrence train this weekend, but no bet on that minus 310 line. <clears throat> All right. Let's get on to the next fight here. Uh, City kickboxing prospect number two, Mr. Carlos Albert going up against Fabio Charant. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at obvious chalk on the Carlos Albert side, minus 275 on him, plus 220 the return on Fabio Charant. Um, Charant is one of the weirdest guys to break down, right? Like his output at time is just so uh, lackadaisical, right? He seems a little bit too comfortable in the cage. Although the William Knight fight, he was getting off pretty well, nice and early there before William Knight lands that uh, uh, body kick. And then from there, he eventually lands that counter. Uh, I believe it was a check hook that he landed to a flatline Fabio Charant that night. But like all of his other fights, man, uh, his output, again, it's very low volume in my, in my eyes at times. Uh, we saw the Myron Dennis fight where he finally starts implementing grappling later in that fight. Kind of a similar matchup here in terms of kickboxer versus whatever the fuck Fabio Charant is. Um, but uh, it seems pretty easy here in terms of Carlos Albrecht needs to kind of keep this fight at range, at distance, then eventually find that kill shot from the outside. I question Sharon's durability at times. Um, Carlos Albrecht, great range. Obviously, he's going to have a, a height and reach advantage in this fight. But I do believe that he'll eventually find that sniper shot and put him down at minus 275, though. Passing, I, I can't, I can't trust him, and nor do I have the cojones to go out there and back to water buffalo. Because again, I just don't know what the fuck we're getting with this guy. He just leaves so much on the table that I just can't uh, have much trust or confidence in him. Pick is Sharon, or sorry, pick is uh, Alberg, Alberg KO. But let's just move on to the fucking next fight. I, I want nothing to do with this fight. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, um, I think you nailed it. I think Alberg, obviously, good kickboxer. In his first UFC fight, he was unloading on Nzekchukwu in that first round, Nailed completely it. emptied the tank. Um, maybe he takes a bit more of a conservative approach here, but I think if he, I, I just couldn't never lay that price tag on someone who's shown such um, such red flags in the cardio department. Um, Charant, like you said, I don't think he, he's amazing at anything, but he probably does have a grappling edge here and he has a cardio edge. So I think at this line, it's dog or pass. If you're into the props and the crazy stuff, like I even kind of half jokingly was like water Buffalo round three submission um, <laughs> on Twitter today. But yeah, I think um, I'm fine passing this one. It's more of just a sit back and see spot for Olberg. Like, let's really see if he's a good prospect or if he's kind of just a flake. Charant, probably leaves the UFC with a loss here. So both these guys, I think both these guys actually may leave the UFC with a loss here. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But from a betting perspective, I'm, I'm, there's plenty of better spots. Uh, last thing about this fight, Sharon has aligned himself with Sanford MMA. So hopefully they can shock the water Buffalo here and try to give him, uh, make him uh, make a good account of himself when he steps into the cage tomorrow night. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, Kyler Phillips going up against Marcelo Rojo. For some reason, they got bumped by your boy Alexander Hernandez and Hernando Waikano for the main card slot. But now they find themselves on the prelims uh, in terms of odds. <clears throat> We currently have minus 450 on Phillips and plus 340 to return on Rojo. I'll let you kick this one off, man. Who do you like in this uh, bantamweight scrap? Yeah, so I'm on the under again here. Uh, my, uh, minus 160, under two and a half. I think Phillips, if he takes the grappling route, 
looks like a huge favorite here. I think if he decides to bang it out on the feet, either guy could knock the other out. Rojo's a pretty fast starter, but he does slow down in fights. Um, gut tells me that Kyler Phillips takes him down, submits him. But I, I think the under at minus 160 here is a pretty good spot considering the fact that both guys could finish each other on the feet and that if Phillips takes the the grappling route, he could finish him as well. So I'm picking um, Phillips to win by submission. I think the under is the best bet on the card. I'm curious to hear what you think about this one. Yeah, the under two and a half is one that I have circled here, but I felt like I got the the line got a little bit too away from me. Uh, most of my spots have it hanging around minus one eighty, minus one eighty five right now. But I still think it's a damn good spot, man. I think like, you hit the nail on the head. Rojo's a finisher, likes to go out there and try to take his opponent's head off. But Kyler Phillips a little bit more finesse with his striking, uh, a little bit flashy at times as well. Uh, but yeah, I think his path of least resistance. Get this shit to the ground. Four out of sevens of Rojo's uh, losses have come via submission. Let's put that black belt to use and try to get him out of there i think plus 500 is a submission prop on uh kyler phillips right now i think that's worth a little bit of a shot as well uh but yeah i agree with you under two and a half is a spot phillips a little bit question mark in terms of his his cardio right we saw him obviously fall off against ali and paiva although he did empty the gas tank trying to get him out of there in round one uh the song yudong fight though that's another one where he starts to fall off in that third round but luckily does not get finished by song ends up winning the fight by uh taking those first two rounds uh it's a good win man it was a good win. It was a good win it's for good sure win. to deal with to I deal like with the Song. Gaelic Song. Yeah, Song's a great fighter as well. He he absolutely proved me wrong against Casey Kenny last time around. I thought that was a spot for Casey to get the dub there. But man, Song is a tough, tough out. And for Kyler to kind of win the way that he did there and still say stay safe in that third round while the Song is trying to take his head off. Big props to him for being able to survive that there. Uh, but yeah, under and Phillips count me in. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, retirement fight coming up for Roxanne Modafferi. She's going up against Casey O'Neill. In terms of odds, we are currently looking at minus 400 for the streaking prospect, Casey O'Neill, plus 300 for the retiring Roxanne Modafferi. I know I see you limbering up right now to get on the Roxanne Modafferi thing, so I might as well just let you kick off this breakdown, dude. How do you see this one going down? <laughs> so you're telling me, Oh, not not you. The books are telling me that Casey O'Neill has an equal chance to KO Roxanne Modafferi as Roxanne Modafferi is to win the fight. So I find that very interesting considering Roxanne Modafferi has not been finished in over 10 years and she's fought a who's who at these women's divisions. I mean, she's a pioneer of the sport. I get that this is a retirement fight, but minus 400, like, did people really look at this fight and say there's value, like, that Casey O'Neill wins this fight more than 80 out of 100 times? Like, I don't know, man. Casey O'Neill, her cardio seems good and her top game seems good, but her striking leaves leaves a lot to be desired and her wrestling leaves a lot to be desired. I think Roxanne's going to do well in the clinch here. I think this line should be significantly closer. I played Mataferi at plus 330, um, and it would not shock me at all to see her look like a favorite in the spot. I know it's a really hot take. I know I faded Casey O'Neill in the past, but look at who she's fought. Like Shanna Dobson out of the UFC. Lara Procopio won the first round against her out of the UFC. Um, Antonina Shevchenko is her best win, and and Antonina almost stopped her in that first round. So I think the values on Mataferi, I mean, I just, in general, I've kind of made my, um, what's the word I'm looking for, made a good chunk of my money in this spot against the, with the old guard coming up against a new, someone new who's a big favorite. And um, I just don't think it's justified yet. Can Casey O'Neill win this fight? Absolutely. Um, but I'm totally fine taking the shot on Roxanne Mataferi plus 300 or better. Yeah, I, I share the same sentiments with you there. <laughs> 
Um, I'm not actually having any uh, bet or, or action on this fight at all. I, I just don't feel good about it from either side, right? Casey O'Neill, like you said, there are some red flags. She's still a prospect. She's still trying to find herself inside the UFC. Great three wins, right? Great three finishes, but not without some adversity that she had to come over and, um, or sorry, overcome. And not to mention, you got Roxanne Montefiore, like you said, 10 years without being finished. <clears throat> pretty durable, has a good grappling clinch and uh, jiu-jitsu game. So if she's able to get on top of Casey O'Neill, as other opponents have done in the past, Antonina Shevchenko has found herself in full mount against uh, uh, Casey O'Neill in the past. Like, it's not like it can't be done. So lesser grapplers have done it. Roxanne Manafari could absolutely do it as well. Um, ultimately, though, I am I am going to take Casey O'Neill to win this fight um, in terms of a prediction. I, I do think she probably gets the stoppage in the third round here. Uh, the difference between the fighters that Roxanne Manafari has been facing recently compared to Casey O'Neill is uh, Viviani Rujo and uh, who's the other one that she fought? Tyler Santos. Tyler Santos. Way more athletic, in my opinion, than uh, Casey O'Neill. But they seem to be a little bit more okay with just grinding fights out right taking the fight to the ground just smashing their opponent on top but not to the extent of trying to finish them whereas Casey O'Neill it looks like she's always trying to go for the finish like she is very aggressive especially when she gets that top control I know she finds herself in bad positions at times but I feel as though she does a good enough job in terms of getting out of those positions as she's shown us and then eventually finding her uh, uh, success later in these fights could she do it against Montefiore possibly but again this is the toughest uh, BJJ player that uh, Casey O'Neill has gone up against. So maybe her getting over anxious and over aggressive on top could lead to a possible reversal or even a get up from Roxanne Modafari here. And then maybe she turns the tables and, and just starts doing her own work from on top. So yeah, no way I can justify laying minus, minus 400 on Casey O'Neill. She's even getting touched up on the feet by some of these chicks, right? Like it's not like she's going to go out there and absolutely whoop Roxanne Modafari on the feet. There's so many fights where you can see her head just completely getting snapped back by some jabs from fucking Laura Procopio, right? It's just, it's agreed to some of the stuff that you see, but she's the younger fighter, obviously. She, she's on a hot streak right now. She's very aggressive. I see her path to victory. It's not a minus 400 path to victory for me, though. So pass on this fight. Pick his Casey O'Neill. Uh, my guy Andrew's going to go with Roxanne, and I don't blame him at all in this spot. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, speaking of veterans, we got Andre Arlovsky going up against Jared Bandera. Uh, minus 140 now on Arlovsky, I believe, earlier in the week. Yeah, he opened up around minus 220. Tremendous amount of mon money coming in on Bandera in the spot. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, plus 120 now the return on Jared Vandera. I really like Jared Vandera in this spot, man. I took two units at plus 140. Uh, I think he's a damn good spot. A lot of people kind of just gloss over him like he sucks. Yeah, he sucks against grapplers. But when he's uh, posed to, to be in a, in a striking battle with his opponents, uh, even going back to his regional days, the guy fares very well, man. He throws in combinations. He moves well for a big dope that, that he looks like. But he has good uh, leg kicks. He stays active with them. He's good with his output. I thought he deserved to win that Vernon Lewis fight, if anybody you want to go back and watch that i even tried searching on twitter to see what other people's scorecards for for it were there were only like two or three people that i saw uh that I were actually tweeting about that fight i think drake riggs uh mma journalist was one of them and he thought it was an egregious scorecard as well uh but yeah uh good combinations as we saw in the justin Toffa fight one thing I, I like about that fight specifically is that anytime Toffa touched him he returned with a combination of his own like he just wanted it to look good optically to the uh, to the judges and i really like that uh, about that about a fighter obviously justin Toffa not as mobile as a guy like andre Arlovsky, right very good point fighter at this point in his career 42 43 years old he looks great right now doing what he does but the difference between Vandera and the Chase Shermans and the uh, Philippe Lins and and uh, who's the last guy that he just beat? Um, 
Goddamn. Uh, Olavsky? Yeah, who's the last guy that he just beat? Uh, pretty Boy Felipe. Yeah, Carlos Felipe. The difference between uh, Van Der and those guys, those guys are just looking to take his head off, right? Like they're throwing one shot out there. They're trying to be aggressive in that aspect. Whereas Van Der, most of his shots come in combinations. And I keep saying combinations in this breakdown because I think that's what's ultimately going to end up winning in th this fight for him. His aggressiveness, moving forward, throwing in combinations, leg kicks, that should be more than enough to eventually catch Arlovsky. And I think he actually puts him out uh, probably in the second or third round of this fight with one of those uh, one of those strikes on the end of the combination. So I like Van Der, uh, two units deep at plus 140. Uh, yeah, I think this is a great matchup for him. Again, as long as D1 Arlovsky doesn't show up tomorrow, I think uh, Jared Van Der is in the clear to go out there and get this one. How are you feeling with this one? It's funny you say that. I actually think Vandera probably has a grappling edge. When um when Arlovsky fought Aspinall, it was like the first time in a while someone had really tried to grapple him, and Aspinall took him down and choked him. At, like he, it was one of the quickest taps yeah. I've ever seen. So I actually he think he didn't Vandera even fight has, it. He didn't even fight yeah. the choke, and he's just like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, so so I actually think Vandera has a bit of a grappling edge here. I liked Arlovsky in the beginning um, when I was first thinking about this fight. I looked into it more, and I'm passing on it for now. I mean, at this point, Arlovsky is 100 years old. He's been a great bet pretty much every fight. Like, I bet him at plus 300 against Tanner Bozier. I bet him at minus 105 against Chase Sherman. I, like, I, I bet – like, I, it's – he's had his time, and um, it's just – I don't really get backing him <laughs> – as a uh, as a favorite here, considering there were so many chances to do it earlier in his career as an underdog, I think it's going to be a close fight. Probably one that goes to decision. Um, I'm going to side with Arlovsky from a picking perspective, but I, um, I I'm no bets on this fight for me. See, Alfred likes the underdog in this one as well. Hey, Alfred, quit it! Come on. He's probably hearing dog, somebody like taking the garbage stick out. together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sorry, uh, I I didn't catch the last part of it. Who are you ended up going with for this one? I picked Arlovsky, but I don't have any bets on the fight. Okay. I like it. I like it. And yeah, I don't mind the grappling angle as well, right? That's something you could absolutely go out there and, and take advantage of if he wants to. But I think if this turns into a kickboxing matchup, I think it's uh, much closer than the opener was indicating at minus 224 Arlovsky. That's why I think the line is starting to come in where it's at. And look at your boy getting a little bit of CLV on that plus 140, right? Come on. Love give it. me some fucking well props. Done. Well done, <laughs> I sir. It. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh Let's move on to the next fight here. Actually, we're going to the main card now. So I want to take this time to uh, shout out the 150 live viewers that we currently have. Shout out to you guys. You guys make this show what it is. Appreciate you guys. Hit that like, hit that subscribe. And then show my guy, Andrew Gombis, some love as well. Uh, link to his Twitter channel is in, or his Twitter page is in the description below. Not to mention his Andrew and Magic show that they do every, uh, I believe that's every Thursday, correct? Yeah, you're going to be on the next episode, so it's perfect exactly. I don't want to say anything yet. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> I'll let you announce it, but yeah, uh, I'll be I'll on the show I'll announce it right here. There we go. I'll <laughs> announce it live, live on the Ultimate Way and Show. Uh, Locke is going to be on, or Manpre. I'm not sure which one you prefer to go by now, but either way, you're going to be on our show next Thursday for the, um, I guess now it's a Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill card. It was going to be a Faziah versus RDA card, but either way, we'll have some we'll have some good uh, good content for you there as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I have the recognition, I believe, of being on Magic's first ever live stream that he ever did. And that was way back in the day when he was with the club and sub guys. Uh, he went on their show one time and I, I was able to be on that stream as well. So uh, second time I'm going to be able to hop on with Magic, but I love their show. They have great chemistry, great, great guests as Thank well. You. Uh, but very sharp dudes as well, which obviously helps the show a lot more as well. So make sure you guys show my guy, Andrew, some love. All right, let's get to the main card here. Lightweight scrap. 
Nazrat Hakparash going up against Bobby Green, uh, minus 150 on Bobby Green, plus 130 the return on Nazrat Hakparash here. Uh, Bobby Green opened up around minus 170, a ton of love coming in on Hakparash to bring that line down. Um, I'll let you kick this one off. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, so I've actually went back and forth in my head about this fight since it since the line came out. I, and my conclusion is that I'm picking Bobby Green to win, but I don't trust him not to do Bobby Green things. So I'm passing from a betting perspective. Uh, we actually had OAM on our show last night, and he said that um, Nazareth's one of the harder hitters he's ever trained with. So I thought that was interesting. He's obviously fast hands, um, got out grappled by Dan Hooker. So you, in theory, Bobby Green could get takedowns here, but he seems to not always take the path of least resistance. Bobby Green's kind of getting up there in age. I bet him against Ally Quinta, but I think here I'm fine passing in this spot. Um, more curious to hear your thoughts to see if you have a stronger conviction than I do. How can you, right? Like Bobby Green is the decision machine, if anything, outside of that last fight against Ally Quinta. And Al just wasn't even fully there, right? We know he's a, pretty much a real estate agent at this point in time, full time. Uh, and he even said admittedly after the, the fight that he was pretty much saying, I can't do this shit anymore after that the first time that he got cracked by Bobby Green. And then he ultimately gives up in that fight and gets finished. Uh, but yeah, that was the first finish for Bobby Green in eight years to the date. Uh, but even that finish that he had eight years ago wasn't even a legitimate KO. So he's not a finisher. He goes out there, he tries to all point you. And it's weird considering his style, right? He likes to trade in the pocket. He likes to do a shoulder roll. He has some good head movement and stuff. And he likes to engage in a war and a fight. But it just seems like he can never drop his opponents or hurt them or finish them. And even the same could be said about his opponents because of the elite durability that we get from Bobby Green. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if we see a finish from either side here. One, one uh, bet I actually wanted to get your thoughts on for this fight was the, the fight goes to decision, which was hanging around minus 190. I know a little bit chalkier than normal is something that a lot of people don't really like to, to look at. But just for a comparison, his last fight against Ali Quinta, it was minus 400 for the fight to go to a decision. Now, all of a sudden, he gets a, a, a finish over Ali Quinta, and now it's down to minus uh, 190, minus 200. Obviously, Hack pressed a different variable, getting plugged into this matchup as well. W what do you think about that line? Yeah, so I think it's one of those situations where more so the line was wrong last time than the, rhino, than the line is wrong this time. Um, just to, like, two males at 155 that are both going to land a decent amount of strikes. Like, I don't know. I don't think there's any value on the GTD there. I think 65, 70%, it goes a distance about right. But yeah, I, I think honestly, it should have been a no brainer to bet that under in the last fight, just because to my point, how often do you see men at 155 yeah. pounds where the under two and a half is priced like that? It, it was, a, it was a weird thing. And I, and I got why it was priced that way, but obviously hindsight's 2020. So that, that's kind of what I think. Yeah, it should like I think more often than not that the highest over two and a half or a GTD is like minus three fifty or minus three hundred even that we normally see on a men's MMA fight, especially at one hundred and fifty five pounds. Uh, but yeah, if I were to bet anything on this, I'd rather take the chalk on that over two and a half. Honestly, I, I can't trust either guy to go out there and get a significant win or be significantly uh, favored once it goes to the judges. Bobby Green just fights that fucking close to the level of his competition almost every single time, and I feel like Hackpress is gonna obliged with him to have that kind of fight which is mainly just striking these guys are going to go out there and throw maybe north of 100 strikes each who ends up landing more or who ends up landing more significantly is going to be the one who gets their hand raised i can see how the guy getting it done but i will go on the bobby green side he's just never getting my money <laughs> he's never getting my money on the betting line all right let's move this uh, move on to the next fight here formerly on the prelims alexander the great ape gets his wish gets onto the main card here going up against anato moicano uh in terms of odds uh, we are currently looking at 
minus uh, 160 on Moicano, plus 140 the return on Alexander Hernandez. Uh, now, Hernandez going out there, always whooping on the short notice guys or the guys that athletically shouldn't even be in there with him, the Chris Gritzmachers, the Mike Breedens. He's able to get those quick finishes, but then when he goes up against legitimate competition, he starts to fall short. I am absolutely guilty of putting two units on him around minus 170, I think it was, against Thiago Moises. Uh, I thought that was a great spot for him to keep the fight on the feet. And then from there, his power striking was probably going to be the advantage. But Thiago Moises did not even need to get the fight to the ground to have any success. His striking looked crisp as hell in that fight, hurting and rocking Alexander on numerous occasions in that fight, ultimately taking a decision. I could see a similar thing playing out here with Moicano, but I do have concerns about Moicano's durability. Because at the end of the day, Hernandez can still crack, and I feel like uh, Moicano might be suffering a little bit from that durability issue. But the, a couple of things that could be said about that. At 155 pounds, doesn't look as bad. Obviously, you, you can't take a clean shot to the chin from Fiziev. That's obviously going to put you down. But more often than not, at 155 pounds, his durability seems to go up. Um, but he admitted after the Demir Hadzovic fight that he finds his most success when he's able to get the fight to the ground and use his bread and butter. Uh, and that's uh, that's his jiu-jitsu. That's where he gets the best uh, work done. I don't know if he's going to be able to get Hernandez down here. Maybe he could. Maybe he can find a trip at a certain point and, and start uh, implementing his jiu-jitsu. Maybe hop on the back of Hernandez in one of those clinch situations. Uh, maybe that's how he gets into his room. But even in the striking, man, uh, I think people see, similar to the Henan Brow and Douglas Savoldeon George fight, they see the win. But if you go back and watch the Fiziev and Moicano fight, you see Moicano actually having success, man. His long jab was very difficult for Fiziev to deal with originally. He had some good leg kicks in there. He tried getting a takedown off of rocking Fiziev at a certain point and was unsuccessful in doing so. But he had his moments in that fight. And he could absolutely do, absolutely do the same thing here against Hernandez. The spot that I was looking at the most, and I haven't pulled the trigger yet, I'm still considering it, is the under two and a half, because I can see a finish on both sides here. We've seen Hernandez obviously clubbed and subbed in the past, or sorry, clubbed uh, and TKO'd by Donald Cerrone in the past. But I feel if Moicano was in that position, he'd probably look for a submission of some sort. And then obviously on the flip side, we can see Hernandez find that chin of Moicano at a certain point and put him down too. I am leading Moicano, though. I do think he'll get the better of the striking, stay away from that big power, and eventually find that finish. Uh, but the under two and a half is where I would feel safest in this fight. What are you seeing here? Yeah, so I actually bet Alex Hernandez in this spot. And I've never bet on or against Alexander Hernandez before, so this is going to be my first time. Um, but I think stylistically this is a pretty good matchup for him here he's a fast starter he he's a big power edge here i don't think moicano is going to be able to consistently grapple him and you made the point earlier moicano has had uh has taken a lot of damage in his last five fights or so i, I think even jai herbert cracked him at one point and then obviously moicano did his thing with the grappling but hernandez is a good grappler in his own right and he might even look to mix in takedowns of his own again like we talked to oam last night and he said how crazy hernandez's pressure fell and um I mean, we've seen him. We've seen him look very good. We've seen some not so great performances from him as well. I think it might be a game plan, a game plan issue in some of those fights. But I took the shot. I think this line should be closer to a pick him. Um, I think that Hernandez is a really good shot to finish him on the feet. I might be a little bit of a hot take, but I got Hernandez by knockout. Yeah, I've seen a lot of love from Moicano on the on the Twitter timelines, at least. I think you're the first guy I'm seeing with a actual bet on Hernandez as well. But I respect him, man. I think he could he could absolutely get it done. And it's great that you got guys had OAM on the show yesterday to give you guys that perspective of what Hernandez actually brings inside the cage. Uh, if you guys haven't already, make sure you guys go check that out as well. OAM OAM picked um, Waikano because he's still oh. bitter about he's still bitter about the fight. But. <laughs> 
<laughs> of course he did. Of course he did. Uh-huh. I love OAM. All right. Yeah, uh, let's move on to the next one. My most anticipated fight on the card. Uh, middleweight contender fight here. I believe whoever wins this fight should get a title shot. Sean Strickland might have something else to say about that. But uh, I-, I think both guys have propped themselves up pretty well here. We got Jared Cannonier, uh going up against Derek Brunson. Minus 165 on Jared Cannonier, Plus 145 the return on Derek Brunson. Let's let you kick this one off, man. Who do you like here? <clears throat> yeah, I haven't played it yet because I suspect the line's going to keep coming down a bit. But I like Jared Cannonier. Um, I think this is a good spot for him. Brunson is a liability every time he's on the feet. He's getting up there in age. I want to say he's 38 years old now. He's had some favorable matchups, and he's done a great job. But even the Darren Till fight, I think if Till didn't fight hurt, he, he gets the win. And I mean, even in that third round, like – Till was putting him in danger after being wrestled for 10 minutes. So it's almost, a, it's a little bit like the Phil Rovers, Jason Witt fight last week, where in the sense that he's just going to have to hit him once f- to put him out. And Cannoneer is not easy to take down. He's not easy to hold down. Very big middleweight. He's strong. I like his takedown defense. I like his get-ups. I'm picking Cannoneer to get the win, and I think he's going to get the next title shot as well. Bang. Right there with you as well. I got three units on Cannoneer. I don't have the patience that you have. I probably should work on that a little bit. I got it at minus 167. Earlier this morning is when I took the shot. And then I signed back into Pinnacle uh, maybe an hour or two before we went live here. And I saw he's back down to minus 160. So if I waited a couple hours, I probably would have got a slightly slightly better line. But still, uh, better than the minus 190-ish that he was hanging at uh, earlier this week. So I don't mind that. But yeah, I love Brunson in this spot. Uh, I will say this. If you guys haven't watched the coaching uh, sorry, Cannon. Yeah, Cannon. Yeah, who I like. Sorry. Uh, if you guys watched uh, the coaches main event marathon show, the new show that I dropped this week, uh, three of the six coaches are actually picking Blonde Brunson, and they seem pretty uh, adamant about their pick there, which gave me a little bit of pause at first. But then I'm like, I've already run the tape. I've done all my research. I feel very convicted on the Jared Cannonier side here. But I, then I started to look into a little bit more, right? Like I believe it was Mark Montoya that picked uh, Jared Brunson. He has a history of him being in the corner of Ian Heinish, who was the second fight during this five fight winning streak for Derek Brunson. And, and he goes, oh, I, I was very impressed with him. But the one thing that he said to me after we were recording was like, it seems like Ian Heinish kind of emptied his gas tank after he uh, dropped him with that head kick and tried finishing him early in that first round. And that's where Derek Brunson was able to take over. But yeah, man, every almost every single fight during this five-fight run for Derek Brunson, which he's been the underdog in, in four of them, the other one obviously being the Elias Theodore fight, which was a pick Uh, He's been rocked in every single fight. Edmund Shabazi, Darren Till, Ian Heinish, like all these guys are rocking him but it's the wrestling of brunson that bails him out but on the other side here with cannonier like you said great takedown defense 22 out of 26 stuff takedowns since being at middleweight not to mention i think a lot of people are putting stocks in this fight against glover Teixeira and, and jan blahovich and all that that's at a, that's at 205 you, you got to cut him some slack now he's fighting guys his size at 185 pounds and i get it brunson's the best wrestler that he's fought to this point but Brunson's no Khabib on top. Like, he's not holding these guys down for a time and time again. Like, maybe the Kevin Holland fight, but we know Kevin Holland's takedown defense and get up was very poor at that time. I'd like to see how that fight goes down now. Uh, but like you said, um, 45 seconds before Darren Tail gets finished by that choke, he has Derek Brunson on wobbly legs. And I believe you know this as well. Uh, Darren Till was going into that fight with a torn ACL or a busted knee or something. Wasn't even motivated for, to, to, to train for that fight. You got Jared Cannonier now fully healthy, uh, coming off that uh, Calvin Gastelum win back in August. I think he goes in there. He eventually finds that chin of Brunson and puts him out here. I get people trying to chase the underdog money on Blonde Brunson, who's been on a crazy tear. 
but this is a bad stylistic matchup for him, a horrible stylistic matchup for him. Anytime Derek Runson or uh, Jared Cannonier gets taken down, this guy works to get right back to his feet. Um, I, I heard on, on a show earlier this week, somebody saying that Jack Hermanson was ragged on this guy in the first round. You guys, I get he watched, uh, he landed three takedowns in that round, but did you watch the fight? <laughs> like, what do, statistics don't always tell the whole story. Sure, he landed three takedowns there, but what did he get ragdolling? That is not ragdolling. Ragdolling is what Khabib does to his opponents. Jack Romanson did not ragdoll Jared Cannonier that night. I will say that absolutely with 100% affirmation there. I like Jared Cannonier a lot here. Uh, again, Sergey Morozov is my favorite play on the card, followed right behind by Jared Cannonier. I think Cannonier gets his hand raised here, and I think he gets his title shot as well, right? It wasn't that long ago that Israel Adesanya was calling this guy out, saying if he beat Robert Whitaker, he would likely get the title shot. And about that Robert Whitaker fight, Jared Cannonier breaks his arm on the first kick that fucking Robert Whitaker throws in that fight. So he's fighting with a broken arm the, the majority of that fight. So let's cut some slack for him there. But yeah, I, I think he gets it done here. Brunson's going to hang it up. He's already talking about retirement, right? Two more fights left in his career. This will likely fast-track him to retirement here when Jared Cannonier knocks him out. So I got three units, minus 167. I'm considering taking another unit shot on the uh, either the KO or if the line continues to get better, maybe around that minus 150 line, I'll probably drop another unit on him here and have a full four units. Did I, anything you want to add about this matchup? Because I felt like I got a little bit heated because I've been seeing so much slander on my guy, Jared Cannonier all week. People saying, Blonde Brunson, Blonde Brunson. It wasn't that long ago that a lot of people were just fading Blonde Brunson against Edmund Shabazi and, and Kevin motherfucking Holland. And now all of a sudden he has a five-point winning streak and you guys want to fade Jared Cannonier against this guy? Fuck out of here. Anything you want to add? Sorry. <laughs> no, nah, man, I think you nailed it. Um, you echoed a lot of the same sentiment that I have regarding this matchup. I think Cannoneer is a solid play, and I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, unfold on Saturday night. Absolutely. All right. Let's go. Coming event time. We got the heavyweights in here, slanging and banging. Derek Lewis going up against Tai Tuivasa. In terms of odds, we got minus 170 Derek Lewis, plus 150 the return on Tai Tuivasa. Um Interesting fight here. Uh, you know, both guys heavy power in their hands. If they want to go in there, trade in the pocket, one of these guys is going to eventually fall down. Uh, I think the main difference in terms of their striking approach is that Tai Tuivasa likes using his leg kicks. If that's something that he implements nice and early here, it could pay off for him later in the round or even in going into the second round if that's where it goes. But I think that both of these guys, given the spot that they're in in this co-main event slot in Derek Luce's hometown, I think they're going to oblige and actually throw and one of these guys is going to fall down. Now it comes down to who's been actually like legit knocked out. And uh, I was going through the record, watching some of their fights again. The last time we saw Derek Lewis actually like out cold, out cold was uh, way back against Matt P Mitrione, almost like eight or nine years ago. Uh, he's been finished by TKO a bunch of times after that, but a lot of it has been due to just exhaustion, right? He just uh, hurls over and just lets his opponent just start to wail on him and they get him out of there. Tai Tuivasa, I believe the only time he's been finished by KO was uh, against uh, Junior Dos Santos, but that was where Dos Santos clips him, drops him, eventually finds himself in uh, full mount, lands some shots from on top. You could let that fight keep going, I think, in my opinion, uh, but uh, they stopped that fight. I believe that's his only KO loss on his record. I do think, though, if you're going to go out there and swing with a guy like Derek Lewis, not many men are going to live to tell the tale. I think Derek Lewis eventually finds that knockout blow in this first round uh, and, and gets it done. I know a lot of people are trying to be cheeky and take that over one and a half at plus, one, uh, plus 140 or plus 150, whatever it's sitting at. I think they're going to be ripping up their tickets here. I don't think that Derek Lewis allows this fight to go past the first round. Even the fight to not start round two around minus 120, minus 110, I could see that hitting as well. But I'll go Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis, first round knockout. No bet for me, given the volatility of this fight. 
How do you see this one going down? Yeah, so I actually disagree with you there. I think the over is the best way to play this fight. Um, Derek, Derek Lewis backs up, looks to counter, and, and he's just so big, strong, scary, hard hitter that people just naturally or t- fight fight him timid right and you made the point Derek Lewis hasn't been knocked out cold since Matt Mitrione so he's very hard to finish on the two of us aside like Lewis doesn't throw that many strikes like he could hit him clean with a shot like it easily could happen but I just think plus 150 is too wide in terms of it going over one and a half I think it could be a bit of a staring contest they're both kind of joking around and stuff I think it could be one of those where they're high five and and stuff too so I think um the over one and a one and a half is not a bad look I also think the leg kicks of two of us is something to look out for Derek Lewis was getting his leg chewed up pretty bad by Curtis Blades before finding that knockout shot so I think if two of us opens up the fight like he did against um Greg Hardy he could find some success here maybe slow Derek Lewis down but yeah I, I'm picking Lewis to win I think from if you put a gun to my head and said pick a money line I'd bet two of Asa, but I like the over one and a half I like it again. I can't. I can't disagree with, uh, especially with that line. Is that? But I, I, I'd be a little bit shocked if it actually goes over that one and a half round mark. Uh, but that Tui Basa leg kicking game, it, it could absolutely be a problem here. And if he does want to oblige and actually go out there and, and commit to that leg kick, he could have tremendous success and eventually find his own finish. Probably, uh, you know, a second round or something like that as well. So let's see how that one goes down. All right, we are. Approaching the main event here. Shout out to the 150 live viewers that we have in here. Again, hit that like, hit that subscribe. Show my guy Andrew some love as well. His Twitter uh, is linked in the description below, but obviously his uh, his show. Uh, correct me here. Magic and Andrew and, or Andrew and Magic. I feel like Magic's getting the, the uh, blue corner or red corner treatment here. Yeah, so he came up with the idea. So I gave him. He it's called the Magic and Andrew MMA Betting Show. It, he, he it was his idea, so his name gets to go first. There you go. There you go. The Magic and Andrew Show. I believe they have their own YouTube channel and all that stuff. So make sure you guys go check them out. Hit them with the subscribe and tune in every Thursday, and you will see a familiar face there this coming Thursday for that show right. as well. All right, let's move on to the main event here. Uh, act two of Adesanya versus Whitaker. We got minus two eighty on Adesanya, plus two twenty five the return on Bobby Knuckles. I'll give it to you to start off, man. Who do you like in this main event? Sure. Well, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. Had a great time talking fights with you as always. Um, in this main event, I went into it thinking I was going to want to bet Whitaker, that I was going to want to bet the over. But the more I th- the more I looked at it, the more I thought about it. I'm fine passing on this fight. Like the first fight really was not close at all. And I guess this is a different matchup. Whitaker is probably going to look to wrestle this time. But Jan Blachowicz held Israel Adesanya down. Jan Blachowicz is also a 205-pounder. Whitaker has decent wrestling, but he's not a wrestler. And if you look at some of those takedowns he hit against Gastelum, um, they weren't necessarily complex. It was almost like a timing thing. It was almost like a Kelvin not expecting it kind of thing. So I don't know that Whitaker will be able to consistently get him down and hold him down. I think if he tries that stuff on the feet where he jumps into the pocket, Adesanya is going to counter him and uh, eventually find a late finish. So I think same result later on in the fight, but I'm looking forward to this one um, from a fan perspective, but from a betting perspective at current line, I'm, I'm fine passing. Yeah, I took a uh, late last week. I took a half unit shot on Whitaker at plus two twenty five, and I just wanted to see where the line was going to go throughout fight week. It seems to be holding steady around that plus two twenty line, so I'll probably just keep it at uh, a half unit uh, on my podcast, uh, the the Lockcast. I, I did pick Whitaker to win this fight because I thought, you know, 
mixing in takedowns. Obviously, I know he's not going to be able to get that top control like as much as obviously Blahovich or Vittori was able to get like a minute to a minute and a half of control, and then Adesanya gets back to his feet. I'm not expecting tremendous amount of top control from Whitaker here. I'm expecting takedowns to hopefully sway the judges in what should be somewhat of a competitive kickboxing fight where the output of Whitaker, you know, staying active with a leg kick, uh, he was having a good amount of success against Adesanya before eventually getting clipped at the end of that first round, which again, I get it. You can say Adesanya was just biding his time and waiting for that proper opportunity to let go of that counter. But if Whitaker can mix in some patience, mix in some takedowns, or even get Adesanya thinking about takedowns, that opens up his striking game a little bit more as well. That allows him to be more patient. That allows him to, again, make it look good for the judges. I do see this fight going the full five rounds. I still do lean on the Whitaker side, but not with much conviction. I'll keep my 0.5 unit uh, stab on him where it's at. Again, Adesanya is just a, a tremendous striker, but like I'm, I'm hearing all these takes like he is the greatest striker, blah, blah, blah. But like, Jan Blachowicz still goes out there and outstrikes this guy for two rounds. It's not like he's a good striker, don't get me wrong, and he's good at setting traps and all that. But at certain times, you can let the fight almost pass him by as he's like switching stances and all that stuff. And that's where I think uh, Whitaker could probably do some good work with output, elusiveness, and volume. But if he gets clipped, if uh, Adesanya sets up proper traps, absolutely you can get him out of there. But I would rather back the Adesanya KO than back Adesanya minus 280 in this spot. Because I think most people are expecting Adesanya to get the KO once again. I don't think it transpires. I do think that this goes the full 25 minutes. And from there, it's going to be up to the judges. And I think Whitaker could put together a good enough amount of work to make it closer on the judges' scorecards than the line indicates. So uh, I like Whitaker plus 225 half unit shot is what I got. I think he... Uh, gets the belt back and i think it sets up a possible trilogy fight for them uh later on this year so my guy gombas on adesanya but no bet given the betting line i'm going to be taking one curve half unit shot at plus 225 all right last thing before we get on out of here uh lock of the night play or the most confident play on the card that you guys have I'll kick off with mine. As I already told you guys early in this podcast, I got four units on Sergey Morozov at minus 208. I'd follow that up with Jared Canyonier at three units at minus 167. I might add another unit on that, depending on if this line continues to dip around that minus 150 range. Andrew, what's your most confident play of the card for tomorrow? Um, I think I'm going to go with the under two and a half in the Malcoon Dobson fight is my most confident play. But from a value perspective, I honestly think Modafferi might be the most value on the card. I know that's not necessarily the criteria for like the lock of the night, but I think in terms of value, it'd be Modafferi. And I think in terms of the lock of the night, that it'd be the under in the Dobson versus Malcoon fight. I like it. I like it. All right. I'll give you the platform one last time, brother, if you want to plug whatever you want to like, and then uh, uh, I'll sign us out. Sure. Well, thanks again for having me on. Had a blast as always. Um, my Twitter is at bets and picks MMA. Um, I have a YouTube channel, um, Andrew Gombas MMA betting. Um, I, I do a show with Jonathan coach with, excuse me, with Jonathan coachman and sports line. It's called the early edge. It's every Thursday at 5 PM Eastern time, excuse me, 5 30 PM Eastern time. I give away a few of my best bets for every single card. And then later that night on Thursdays at 7 PM Eastern time, magic MMA. And I do our own podcast where we break down the card from top to bottom, which you're going to be our guest next week, which would be a great time. So those are, those are my three things, so to speak. But again, appreciate you having me on. Hope everyone enjoys the fights this weekend and uh, hoping to come back on someday soon. Oh, for sure. You're you're gonna be a staple on this show. You're you're you not you keep it nice, tight, 
we got an hour uh, into this podcast and we got through the entire uh, uh, 14 fight slate. So I always love doing it within a, a compact amount of time because, again, I, I want to have a life on a Friday too, right? That, that's why I got <laughs> away from the fucking uh, four-person panel on Fridays going two and a half to three hours with these savages. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you doing the show. On behalf of myself, though, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, IG Live. Uh, I'm going to be kicking it with you guys for about half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour if we get some good guests in there. Uh, I'm going to be talking to you guys if you guys are – uh blowing up the live chat right now want to talk to me get your shit across hop on the ig live at mmalot and i'm going to be going live to talk to as many people as i can get their best bet for tomorrow so make sure you guys join me for that and then tomorrow fight day live chat the last stream i'm going to be doing of the week 1 p.m eastern uh talking to the live chat taking all questions comments and concerns for the fight day all right that's a wrap Appreciate you, Andrew, coming on and doing the show. Appreciate everybody you, that man. checked it out. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the way up. Make sure you guys go follow my guy, Andrew, on Twitter as well. Like I said, link in the description below. And good luck on your bets. I will see you guys tomorrow. War, Jared, Killer Gorilla, Cannoneer. Let's fucking go. Oh, yeah. Peace out.